in, in the absence of regulation, there's no set safety standard. So we don't really know what to do. And number two, they can't enforce safety standards in gyms and fitness centers the way they have in other industries because there's no regulation. So. You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode five of Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. In this interview, or in this episode, we'll be looking at the interview with Jennifer Bailey. Jennifer is a Pilates instructor and health coach, and what intrigued me about Jennifer was a live session that she did on Facebook a few months ago. When I saw this video of Jennifer, she was going live on Facebook, she was talking about phase two in North Carolina and things were reopening up and a lot of people were very upset, understandably, that gyms were not incorporated into phase two when they originally were supposed to be. But what intrigued me about Jennifer's approach was that her mindset was different than most people in her industry. She said that there was a lot of anger and frustration amongst people and how upset they were, but she says that she really wasn't mad. that she feels like it was a good idea. Now that's not a popular opinion. And most of us, whenever something impacts us personally, we take things as a very personal attack and it's hard to see things from a broader perspective, how it affects the majority. But Jennifer was different in that sense. She was able to see the broader picture of things. And that's what intrigued me about her. And that's why I reached out for this interview, because that is a sign of higher emotional intelligence, being able to see beyond the self. So I don't want to give too much away. I feel like I always start off with an intro that tries to do that. If you'd like to learn more about Jennifer and what she does, I will put all of her information in the description. So enjoy. And here is the interview with Jennifer Bailey. How are you? Good. Good. Awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Let's just kind of dive in and, and just tell me a little bit about yourself. So where you're from and what you do. Sure. I always struggle with how to answer the, where are you from question? Cause I feel like I'm from so many places just cause we've moved so much. Um, but I grew up in North central Illinois and I lived in after college in the city of Chicago for 11 years. And then in 2013, we started to move for my husband's job. So we lived in Hong Kong for a year We were back in Chicago for about six months. We were here in Charlotte for two and a half years and then New York city for two years. And now we're back in Charlotte and I'm never moving again. Um, (laughs) It's so stressful. And we did all of that right since February, 2013 to uh, September, 2018. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot. Um, But when I was in New York, So through all of that, I was in the nonprofit sector working as a fundraiser. So I had a 14-year career in nonprofit fundraising. When I was in New York, I actually realized that I could make a career out of my passion for health and wellness. So I left fundraising, took a couple of months off to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And then I pursued my Pilates teaching certification and my health coach training. And so when we came back to Charlotte almost two years ago, I set up my Pilates and coaching business out of my home here in Plaza Midwood. That's awesome. Plaza Midwood's a nice area. I like yeah. that area. Yeah. Hard to find parking sometimes though. True. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
which I don't know of a place really in Charlotte that isn't difficult to find parking sometimes, but yeah, it's a growing city. Cool area. Yeah. Jennifer, you mentioned in your Facebook live that there was a lot of anger from people in your industry, right? You're in the fitness health and wellness industry, specifically uh, speaking of gyms and studios like Pilates studios, yoga studios. And what really inspired this conversation with you today is the, your perspective, the way that you saw things differently. And you had mentioned like, well, you know, this may not be the popular belief, but a lot of people are angry and don't believe that you know, not opening gyms in phase two was the right decision, but you said you thought it was a good decision. So Mm -hmm. can you explain why you felt that that was a good decision and that it was a smart decision to keep the gyms closed? Yeah, I can. Um, There's several parts to this. So stop me if I'm getting long-winded here. I will start by saying that as a Pilates teacher, you know, I didn't, I didn't love it, but like you said, I did think it was a smart decision um, based on the information at hand. I'll start by saying like, I'm not a doctor or a nurse or a scientist or like a government official. I don't have to be like working around the clock to figure out what the best courses of action are with this. Right. But I do have a responsibility to my clients to stay on top of the information that we do have. Um, because many of my clients are in those, um, defined high risk categories for complications from COVID-19. And what I've seen from credible sources, health experts, universities, investigative reporting, based on what we know about COVID-19, it's not a good idea to be inside with a group of people working out together at this time. Right. So there's still a lot we don't know. We're only three months into, roughly three months into a pandemic that is predicted to be anywhere between like 12 and 24 months. Wow. Right. So we're like, right, like we're early here, but here's what we do know. The main mode of transmission is through close and prolonged contact with another person where you're breathing or talking within six feet of each other without a face covering. There've been one or two studies that have suggested that when Runners are respirating heavily droplets of their breath, which might carry virus particles, can project sometimes up to 20 feet. And we also know that although not primary and not entirely all that risky, there is secondary mode of transmission with high touch surfaces where like if you have the virus, you cough in your hand, you touch a doorknob, the next person touches a doorknob, they touch their mouth, right? Like, right. Okay, so apply that to a gym. And then I'll also talk about a Pilates studio because they're, they're similar, but they're also a little different. Just think about like your gym, right? And then think about your, the cardio room. How close are those treadmills to each other? There's just enough room to step in between them on all sides. So you can get out and off the machine safely, but it's not like you have you know, 20 feet of space between each because they're trying to, they're, the room is designed to maximize revenue. Right. You have to touch the buttons. You're sweating, you're breathing heavily, you're shedding skin and hair, and the machine is covered with all of you. <laughs> and like, right. There's that. And like gyms are inherently dirty and gross places. Gym owners, studio owners might take offense to that because 
you know, we want to think that we're all very clean and we pay attention to these things. And it's not that we're not cleaning. It's just the nature of the space. It just is, right? How close are you to the person next to you, the person in front of you, the person behind you? Is it six feet away? Is six feet enough? Are you 20 feet away from the nearest person? Was that machine fully sanitized before you got there? Did you sanitize every part of it when you were done? Like how many times have you gone to the gym and you've like used hand weights, um, barbells, the treadmill, and you just hopped off without cleaning it? And even if you clean it, look at, look at the grooves, especially in dumbbells and things like that, how it has like all the grooves in it for grip. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't slip. Mm -hmm. And even if you wipe it down with a rag or paper towel and sanitizer, it's not going to get into those small little divots, right? Yeah. You would have to dump it in chlorine (laughs) and soak it and leave it there for a while for it to really penetrate all of those areas. Right. And some have foam grips too, you know? Yeah. So exactly. So now I don't know if you're familiar with a Pilates studio, but we have machines called reformers that are, they can be about eight feet long and about, you know, three feet wide. We'll have them set up in a room and they're usually a few feet apart, maybe two to four feet apart. So we can utilize space in between them for the workout, but it's also to maximize revenue, right? And while Pilates isn't necessarily cardio in terms of like how heavily you're breathing all the time, it could be depending on the teacher, the class, the ability level of the client or the student, and depending on how you, as how I as a teacher, here's how I thought about this. I ask my students and my clients to breathe big, like deeply, forcefully to take up space with their breath. And really like one of the things I'm telling them constantly is like blow out your birthday candles, right? Cause that engages specific muscles for that particular exercise, right? So, so much of Pilates is centered around the breath and breathing efficiently to help stabilize the body, facilitate effective movement, to help boost your immunity and your mood. And never mind all of that, there are also like um, hand straps and foot straps. So we're, we've got our feet in these cloth straps. We have our hands in these cloth straps. They can't be just wiped down. This entire machine has to be disinfected. You know, you have to, you have to really think about... Um, all those little grooves, right? We have springs, you're touching the springs and can you clean in between each little coil of the spring, right? All that stuff. Then consider that North Carolina as a state, so far, Aloysia Raleigh will, um, starting tomorrow, has not required face masks, right? So we've only encouraged their use in public settings, especially when social distancing is not possible. Mm-hmm. So, and we know from limited research that we that we do have in these first few months of this pandemic that like if you and I were physically together and one of us was infected but we both had on face masks the chances of us sharing this virus would be reduced to somewhere between five and twenty percent and that's huge right but it's not required by the state and just like a a little aside there is also like conflicting recommendations here so the CDC when you look at CDC website it's suggesting that even if you're in a gym, you should be covering your face. In New York City, people um, are going for runs outside with their face covered. The World Health Organization is saying you should not exercise with a face covering. Who are we supposed to listen to? 
and then the last the last thing that I was really struck by and I think this is really important here is that gyms and fitness studios are not regulated by the state of North Carolina right so think about it this way when you go into your hair salon right they have their state certifications and licenses up on the wall and that means the state regulates their um, practices and one of those practices is cleanliness and that is for your protection as the consumer the state's able to guarantee a baseline level of safety for you within that industry. It's there for nail salons, estheticians, restaurants, bars. It's not there for gyms. Like the only interaction that we have with the government is the state government is we pay taxes. So I think there's like two things going on. Number one, the state doesn't have a financial interest in reopening gyms and fitness centers because they're not regulated. And you could view this cynically as in like, well, the state only cares about places where they're making money via regulation requirements. Or you could view it as like in, in the absence of regulation, there's no set safety standard. So we don't really know what to do. And number two, they can't enforce safety standards in gyms and fitness centers the way they have in other industries because there's no regulation. So all of this is why I wasn't I wasn't mad about it. You know, I was, I was, was I bummed? Yeah, I was bummed, but I wasn't mad about it. I mean, I think if you are looking for good intentions, this decision seemed to be based on the science that we currently have about how it spreads and making a choice that is hopefully in favor of the greater good right. of not, you know, of not furthering transmission of something that could be potentially deadly. Yeah. So why do you feel like people were so upset? One and two, let's reverse this actually. So first off, what were some things that you were hearing from people in your industry, in the health and wellness industry that weren't able to go back to work and how they voiced their anger? Yeah. So some of the things I saw, and this was, you know, mostly on social media, but it was a lot of commentary like this doesn't make any sense we're trying to keep people healthy and this is how we do it and yet you're telling them not to people you're telling people not to go work out you know and and I think I I get that I feel that you know because that is that is um that is why I do what I do because I want to help people find their optimal vision of health. What does that look like? How, how does having your health enable you to go do the work that you need to do or that you were meant to do, right? Um, people who were gym owners and studio owners were upset because, you know, they're saying like, but this is my livelihood. I need to go back to work. And I get that. And then those of us who were teaching in person, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, but that makes no sense. Like what I do is healthy for people. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help people be healthy and that's what this is about. And really when you look at underlying health conditions that pre present as opportunity for complications from COVID-19 infection, it's mostly things that are lifestyle driven, such as type two diabetes and that's just one example, but those are the kinds of things, and I'm not saying all of them are, but many of them are, um, but those are the kind of things that we are actively working to prevent in our field, right? So we sort of, I, I, can, I can empathize with this feeling of like, wait a minute, but, you know, I want to 
I'm trying to help people get healthy and stay healthy and be able to strengthen their immune system to help with something like this. And you're keeping me from doing that. So that's kind of the stuff that I was seeing online. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it is frustrating, especially when, like you were saying, it's their livelihood, you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, whenever you see other people going back to work and things opening up for them, and then you're just waiting anxiously for mm-hmm. your industry to open back up. And, and then it was scheduled to in that same phase and then it didn't. Right. And we experience a lot of emotions with that. And I think that is the difference between someone who exhibits emotional intelligence versus someone who allows their emotions to override rational processing and look at the bigger picture, like what you did, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why I wanted to have this discussion with you because you're just as affected as anyone else. You Mm -hmm. have the right to be upset with not going back to work just as anyone else does, but you're able to look at the bigger picture and say, okay, yes, it affects me, but the world reality isn't revolving around me. There's a bigger picture to this and you're able to see that. And, you know, when you were talking about why you felt that it was a good idea for them not to open, you provided all of this data, all of this information I did not catch your opinion of the matter at all. Aside from the fact that you said that you felt like it was a good idea, you supported that opinion with hard data. And I think that is where we as a society, as a collective whole, fall short. Mm -hmm. Um, We may find things that we consider data, but really it's confirmation bias. We're seeking the things that confirm what we want to believe is Mm -hmm. the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's when we're able to do what you did and look at the other side of that. Like, I really don't want this to be happening, but I want to be well-informed about it and seek things that maybe are against what you would want to hear, right? That takes emotional intelligence. It takes courage it takes integrity. What do you feel like we need to do as a society to be more accepting, understanding, and well-informed? Oh, wow. Um, I know that's a loaded question. It is. It is. It is. And I, I think it's something that we could probably, you know, talk about for days on end, right? Yeah. I'll start with empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. Okay. So this may not always be possible because of our experiences. Right. Right. To use the example of Pilates, I will never fully understand what a black person feels like walking into a Pilates studio that is full of tiny white women because I'm not black and that's not my experience, but I can try. I can open myself up to learning what that might feel like for somebody else. When I lived in Hong Kong, I tried as often as I could to put myself in places where I was the only person who looked like me. Because, you know, growing up in North Central Illinois in a rural place, or even living in a big city, 
you know, as a like heteronormative cisgendered, you know, tiny white woman, it's really easy for me to go right. places and be surrounded by people who only look like me. Right. right. Uh, again, my experience will never be the same, but I can try to cultivate some level of empathy and try from my perspective, from my business, and as a human having a home where I like to welcome my friends, right, and a, living in a community where I like to be a part of the community, can start by trying to build spaces that are not just welcoming, but encouraging. And I think, you know, there's, there's some things we're sort of, we're kind of going through this collectively together right now, right, with the prominence of the Black Lives Matter movement. And like an easy thing to do is start by expanding your social media consumption. I'd be willing to bet that um, many white people that I know have Instagram feeds that are full of other white people, right? You know, start following some, like in Pilates, let's just say Pilates, like starting to follow some black and brown women. There are so many amazing black and brown Pilates teachers and health coaches out there working daily to dismantle systemic racism in our industry, right? And just just by simply following them and hearing what they have to say and just sitting with that and and thinking like, wow, that I just can only imagine what that feels like. Okay, so that's like you're trying to cultivate a little bit of empathy. And if we can all work on that, and I know that's a really specific example to Pilates, but, you know, I think if we can all find some way to try to cultivate empathy within ourselves, that would be a really good start. (laughs) And, uh, you know, one thing that people say, and I don't think they intend anything negative by it, but oftentimes when somebody is talking about um, a situation where they've been discriminated against or they're frustrated or they're angry, whatever the case may be, right? Somebody is telling you their story Mm -hmm. and they may be venting or they may just be seeking to be understood and heard, Mm -hmm. but we feel the need to say, I understand. And that can be extremely frustrating for that person because Yes, they want to be understood. They want to be heard. But there's something about saying, I understand, that kind of just tells them you don't understand. Right. Right? If we truly want to come from a place of understanding, we don't need to use that phrase, I understand. We can say, I know what it's like to be frustrated and I can't imagine what it is like for you in that situation. Mm Mm-hmm. We can compare our feelings. That's something that we have in common. Fear Mm -hmm. presents itself the same way in all of us. Joy presents itself the same way to all of us. So while we may not have that same experience and understand that specific situation, we can relate to that feeling, which breeds and fosters empathy. Sure. Yeah. But I think we need to start taking that I understand out of our vocabulary. I so agree with you. Um, like you said, saying I understand really in, in many situations kind of shows that you don't, right? Exactly. Because, you know, use um, sexism in the workplace as an example, right? So I have been in so many situations in my previous career where I was talked down to, I was uh, not called on or my, um, in meetings, my ideas were dismissed. 
And yet the, the, the man next to me, right, would just repeat what I said. And then the leadership was like, oh yeah, that's great. You know, and then afterwards, and I found myself having to find like male colleagues that would be willing to amplify my voice in the meeting. I, I, you know, I would say, I need you, when I say this in the meeting, I need you to go, yeah, I want to hear what she has to say. That's right. She's right. You know, or whatever. But there was a time where I went to one of those colleagues and I was, I was like, you know, I am so frustrated. Like I have these ideas, I have these answers. And by the way, it's my job and I keep getting dismissed. And he said, I understand. And I was like, but you don't, you're like, you're not, you're not me. You don't have my experience. You're not right. being dismissed. Right. So there, there's no way that like, we're ever going to, um, fully understand another person in many situations, but we can say things like, I hear you. That sucks. How can I help you? Yeah. Right. Or even clarifying what we've heard, because another thing that's really frustrating for people is when you're telling someone something, you want them to understand you, you want them to hear you. And then they say, I understand. And then they repeat something that is completely different than the message you're trying to convey. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. No, I hear what you're saying. You may hear the words, but you're not hearing the message. Yeah. You're you're interpreting it in a different way. It's, it's getting twisted whenever something, whatever's happening in your head. Right. You know, some people don't like it when you parrot back what they say, different personality types, especially if you're familiar with the disc assessment, uh, decisive people, typically do not like for you to paraphrase what they said. If you're going to repeat what they said, they want it verbatim, right? And so that's why it's so important for us to really understand how other people communicate because Mm -hmm. that phrase, treat others as you would like to be treated, really doesn't apply. Yes, it does when it comes to respect. Like if you want to feel respected, you need to respect others, but the way in which you respect that other person may be different than how Mm -hmm. you see respect. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have to start tailoring our message communication and how we react to each individual person. And some say, well, that's not my problem. If they misinterpret what I say, that's not my problem to, you know, try to communicate in a way, but that's just selfish because Whenever we want to um, have someone communicate to us, it's just like if someone came to you speaking a language that you didn't understand mm-hmm. and you're like, I, I don't understand that language. And they're like, well, it's not my problem that you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. okay, but like, but I don't speak that language. It's the same way with behaviors. And uh, we've got to get out of that mindset of it's all about me. And I think that's like a great divide. It's all about me. And same thing goes with the precautions for the face mask. Some people say, well, I believe this coronavirus is a hoax. I believe it's created by X, Y, and Z. And I'm not going to wear a mask. You're not going to tell me what to do. And they use two excuses. One is you're taking away my freedom. And the other one is it's oxygen. I cannot say that word. (laughs) <laughs> it will deprive me of oxygen. I tried that on my there other video the other day and I could not I, say the word. Um, I, saw, I saw the video. <laughs> yeah, I cannot. Anyways, I got to practice okay. that. <laughs> but so those are the primary two excuses, right? right. My freedom yeah. and 
oxygen. But I feel like that's all they are is excuses. And I'm not saying that you have lower oxygen with the mask. Do I think it is going to harm you? No. So it's like taking something small and blowing it out of proportion just to justify why we're not going to do something. And then the same thing with freedom. You know, with freedom comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. We could say, well, you know, what if I want to drive on the wrong side of the road? Like I, if we're a free country, shouldn't I be able to drive on whatever side of the road I want? But we have lines, we have barriers, we have these, these buffers for what is expected of us. Right. And it's just like, if you were going in New York, right. You know, the subway, it has a line, do not cross this line. Mm-hmm. Well, what if somebody looked at that and were like, well, F that, like, I'm going to cross this line because this is a free country. It's to keep us safe. And these same rules apply for wearing masks, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like we often become so defensive whenever we feel like we are being told what to do. And to me, that shows low emotional intelligence. Um, you wouldn't let your child do whatever they wanted, right? You have rules for, for children. You have rules for your pets. Like, because you know better than them. And the health department, although it seems very contradictory sometimes what they say, but they're learning too. This is right. new for everyone, right? We're, we're human beings. We're not perfect. But even if this was a hoax, let's just say it was, I don't believe it is, but even if it was, I would always err on the side of caution. Is it going to kill you? Is it going to hurt you to wear a mask? No. But could you kill someone else if you are asymptomatic and you're carrying this virus? You know, you've been exposed. You may not have symptoms yet. Just because you're feeling fine doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means that you're not showing symptoms. So it's, it's things like that where we need to really look at why are we not taking these precautions? And why are we using these excuses? Because at the end of the day, I think it's more like, it's about me and what I want to do. I don't care about anyone else. You probably saw this on my video. So I'm going to be repeating myself to you, but the, the post where somebody said, um, you know, they're saying, well, you know, I noticed that you posted all lives matter. And if you really believe that all lives matter, why are you going to walk out of your house? without taking the necessary precautions of wearing a mask, right? You can't just say it's about killing people because you could kill someone with this. Like, let's not look at the percentages. Even if it's a 1% chance of you giving it to someone else, if I were to hand you a candy jar of Skittles that's got a hundred pieces in it and say, here, here's some Skittles. Do you want some? Only one of them is poisonous and it's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. How many people would still even take that risk of eating any of those Skittles knowing that one of them was mm-hmm. going to kill them? Mm-hmm. But yeah. we don't look at things like that in society. We tend not to. And I, I was uh, struck by your examples of the, you know, why can't I just drive on the other side of the road? Like, well, we have lines and a system set up and the subway, there's a whole system there for safety, but it's also it's also about what we as a society, as a society have agreed to, you know, like we have agreed that these are our values. Safety is a value. Health is a value, you know, and we want to preserve that. But I think it goes to a point where it is convenient for everybody. 
and and then it becomes convenient for some. And I think to kind of help us continue to be moving toward a more, I think your words were accepting or uh, informed society, you know, we need to get, we need to get curious. Mm-hmm. Yes. And right. And yes. Um, really re-examine the structures and institutions that our society is built upon. Right. So to even take it a step further, like why are public schools funded through property taxes? Right. Like, of course that's going to breed racial and economic disparity. Yeah. But that's not like really convenient to worry about for plenty of white people rich enough to live in trendy neighborhoods, but send their kids to private school because they deserve a better education. But didn't we agree as a society that education is one of our values and shouldn't that be equally accessible to everybody? So I think the curiosity and like, you know, like you were saying, ask yourself why (laughs) get real and honest, like how come, why don't you want to send your kid to that public school in your neighborhood? And why aren't you willing to do something about it to change the situation? You know, why does the idea of any of this make you uncomfortable? Right. Because to your point, like, well, but it's about me and my kid and I can't, I can't put my kid at risk at quote at risk for the better good of the collective of all the kids. When we have research to show that putting your kid in the public school makes all kids do better and perform better and learn more. Right. So it's, um, we need to be able to do all of that, but to do all of that, we need information. And, you know, there is information. This is, it's so funny. You know, I never would have thought information was a controversial, <laughs> like, topic until, right, let's see, uh, 2015. Yeah. Um, when, you know, we, this idea of fake news came about. Um, but it's not, like, there is fake news, but it's not fake news in, the way the president is constantly complaining about, it's more like our social media platforms are susceptible to foreign interference. Our elections are susceptible to foreign interference. Both have been shown to have implications on information that we access and guide us in our decision-making, right? So we, right. I don't, we probably need some kind of regulation on that, but like people need to read and they need to read credible sources like books and newspapers and they, like, yeah, I, Totally. Like, no, I mean, that is, that is it. You said there, we have an information overload and the problem is how do we define what is information? I feel like information is such a loose term. Uh I could send you something that I wrote and deem it as information. (laughs) Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, Yes. We need things that are unbiased and scientifically proven. And the, the, thing is like even with science it needs to be peer reviewed because scientists are human beings too they can have implicit bias as well that affects their research so that's why looking at peer reviewed articles is key and a lot of people don't understand what that means unless they've done research mm-hmm. but it means that other people in your field have looked at this and scrutinized it and said okay, is this a sound piece of data? Do we mm-hmm. find any bias or detect any bias in that? Yeah. Um, and there are sources online where you can look at fact-checking and media bias and see which um, news channels tend to lead 
either to the left or to the right, and then which ones are in between. And that's what we need to target. And it may be uncomfortable for some people to hear, especially if they've been following one source or the other. But if we really want to be well-informed, that's what we have to start doing. And we have to get over that fear of being wrong because essentially that is just our ego getting in the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, nobody, yeah, nobody wants to be wrong. And also nobody wants to learn that how they've been living life all, like this whole time mm-hmm. <laughs> is in some way harmful to someone else. Right. But I think, um, like, again, like using that information, going back to the empathy is going to help cultivate that. And we're going to be able to promote, not, not just become accepting of other people and other cultures, tolerating, but promoting them. I mean, even beyond tolerating, but promoting them. Right. And I think, but really, I mean, to be able to do that, we really need to get curious and we need to, we need to start listening to people who don't look like us. Right. Like there are so many, I mean, you and I are young white women. There's so much that we learned about our history in school, but then there's so much about our history that we didn't learn in school. And there are so many people of color who have been researching and writing and really trying to disseminate this information that we probably haven't either been exposed to or sought out. And right like I said, get curious, like, why, how, like, how come, why is that, you know? And I think once we can learn from people who are doing this work, who are bringing us this information and saying, look, this is what I've been trying to tell you. This is why we're feeling this way. This is why this is happening. And if you're able to say, not, I understand, but whoa, I hear you. That really sucks. What am I going to do to help? You know, then we're going to be more empathetic to each other. And we're going to be able to promote each other and, you know, we can live together and appreciate each other for, you know, what it is that we all bring exactly to the table. Right. But it's, you know, it's deep, like, like, um, and not, not an easy thing. Um, you know, the, the, nobody wants to be wrong. It is a scary thing to be wrong because then you're not right. Yeah. And then we feel stupid because society has taught us if you're not right and you're wrong, then you're dumb. You're stupid. You don't bring anything to the table. And that's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, we can't know everything and we have Mm -hmm. to start expanding our knowledge base. And that's what I love about Daryl Davis. I don't know if you saw that episode with him, but how many people would do what he did, you know, have a, have a negative experience of being, um, stereotyped and attacked just by the color of his skin at 10 years old. And Mm -hmm. he forms this question at 10, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? And instead Mm -hmm. of hating a race that didn't understand him, he became curious, just like you were talking about and wanted to know why. Why do they hate me? And so interviewed all these people and through the process of just trying to understand them, he was able to influence over 200 KKK members, probably more now, um, Mm -hmm. and white supremacists to change their ways. And that's what we have to start doing. People say, well, I don't have time for that. Um, Or they become defensive and say, but they're wrong. That's ridiculous. We can never change anyone. We will never be able to change anyone by telling them 
right. that they are wrong by trying to prove to them that they are wrong. The only way we can do that is if we try to understand where they're coming from and question them about their system of beliefs, but not in a way that is um, leading them like with questions that we want to hear. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, yeah. How can you believe this way? That's not, a, <laughs> that's not the right type of question, but well, tell me a little bit about your, your thought process here. What experiences have you had that have made you feel this way? Right. Well, you know, my parents always told me, or, well, this one time. So you're basing an entire population on one experience because that's what we look for. We right. seek and you shall find. Yeah. You could have a hundred people doing something and only two of them are acting inappropriate. And if you believe in that inappropriate behavior is the majority, then you will only use those two people's behaviors to justify your system of beliefs for that entire group. Mm -hmm. So we have to start trying to confirm the opposite of what we believe. That is true research. Mm -hmm. In science, you're only uh, proving your point until you have eliminated all uh, of the opposites to that. Yeah. You can only prove something by trying to disprove it is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of work to do. We do. We do. (laughs) And and where do we start? Where where do you start with this? Because, you know, um, I think it does need to start in our education systems, but who is going to teach the kids? Mm -hmm. If the teachers are not well-informed and they hold their own bias and they're not emotionally intelligent, then how are they going to teach children? And then some people look to um, religious leaders. They're human beings as well. Mm-hmm. Emotional mm-hmm. intelligence isn't about what position you are in. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO, if you're a priest, if you're Mother Teresa, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not going to say that Mother Teresa didn't have some form of emotional intelligence, but, sure, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate. Right. Right. <sighs> Yeah, well, it looks like we just opened a can of worms that we're not going to be <laughs> able to complete. All right, um, so we'll meet up again next week, and we'll yeah, out to yeah, solve we'll do this for the next hundred. Okay. Years. <laughs> Let someone else pick it up from there. Sure, yeah, that's awesome. But um, yeah. I really appreciate your viewpoint and how you came to that conclusion that you did and, and just your thought, your overall thought process on this. Um, I think it's, it's so needed for other people to be able to have an open mind and not let the self, not let the ego get in the way of why they do and think the way they do. Thanks. I appreciate you appreciating that. (laughs) So, um, what are you doing now in terms of, are you still doing Pilates like virtually? Uh, Cause I do want to put any information that anyone that's interested in Pilates or mm-hmm. personal training can find you. So what are you doing at the moment? Yeah, I am currently teaching online. So I use zoom as my platform. Um, I have a couple of group classes on the schedule and then I also teach private sessions. Okay. Um, yeah, virtually. And then my health coaching practice um, has often been, I would say it was about 50-50 in person and also virtual. That hasn't been a really difficult transition to make because 
Um, I think people are used to consuming that in a virtual way. So um, I'm currently working on creating some programs that can be consumed, you know, virtually that'll have um, a live coaching component to it for a set number of weeks of time. That'll be, you know, a, a really holistic sort of view of the person. So, you know, sleep, lifestyle habits, nutrition. Um, there's an exercise component, Pilates based. Um, I tend to work with, um, my Pilates clients tend to tend to have injuries or other things, um, issues in the body that they're dealing with. And one of the reasons I became a Pilates instructor or teacher is because I had chronic back pain for almost 12 years. Um, knowing that and being able to relate to people on that, I tend to get people with back pain. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's, yeah, <laughs> that's where I am. So I, I, I tend to focus on that a little bit just cause it's what I know. And it's, um, it tends to be who, uh, wants to work with me, but I'll be working. Awesome. I, I'm yeah. So we're, so I'm working on some stuff for, for some online programming around how to keep your back healthy. And I need that. <laughs> like I'm sitting yeah. here right now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. it's hard. It's hard to sit. And now we're all home sitting all day. So it's even harder, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And, uh, I will put all of your information and how people can find you in the link or description of this video. So that way they can reach out to you. I think, I think I have my website on my Facebook page, but it's there. I will put everything. It doesn't matter. I'll put it separate. I'll put it however you want it structured. It'll be there. Whatever you put up is fine. I appreciate you sharing it. And yeah, um, I just want to say thanks for, for reaching out and making this connection. And yeah. uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. This was really You're great. Welcome. I really enjoyed this. You provided a lot of really good information. Okay, good. I'm so, glad I could be football. <laughs> <laughs>